Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Minnesota Sports Weekly, episode number 111. This is a special show tonight, something I'm, I've been excited all week to get to. Uh, Coach Dave Cressup won his 600th game on Saturday by beating Osakis, and uh, I'm going to have him and one of his former players discuss what being a perm yellow jacket was all about. Uh, and that is uh, Corey Heppela from WCCO. So that should be a, an exciting time to, to just to sit and listen to them talk because I know they're uh, – close friends as well. Um, in addition to that, we have Jace Frederick from the Timberwolves, reporter for the Pioneer St. Paul Pioneer Press. Uh, I will have a guest co-host once again. Uh, he will be coming along at 8 o'clock. That's Corey Engelhart, my former partner, Jeff Johnson from the Cedar Rapids Gazette, talking about the Gophers and Iowa game on Saturday, on Sunday. And Chris Blessing uh, was the, tw- the big trade that happened with the Twins and the Dodgers. I want to ask him about how the Twins farm system looks today compared to a week ago. That and a bunch more will be going on today. So uh, listen up, and uh, it should be a fun show. I'm going to start the show with uh, Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press. And uh, we'll go from there. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly from the Pioneer Press, Jace Frederick. Hey, Travis, how's it going? I'm doing good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, making the time. I know you're a busy guy. Um, let's let, let's talk about uh, Saturday night. Uh, it, it it seemed like a, a whole new team, which it actually was. What was that like covering that game where 
there was Carl Anthony Towns and Josh Akogi were the only ones that were there in training camp. Yeah, it was it was different. Um, it felt like a season opener in some sense, and, and the Timberwolves even treated it that way. Um, they did the introductions, and they literally introduced everyone on the team. Uh, there was a new hype video. Uh, it was it was all new. They had D'Angelo Russell speak on the court, which is something that you kind of maybe do with the, like ahead of the season opener, a home opener anyway. Um, so they the Timberwolves kind of almost embraced it as like, hey, here's the start of a new season, uh, and and then you know when the there was kind of the excitement that came with it too. Like you didn't know what you were going to see. Um, you didn't know how they were going to play. You didn't even know exactly who was going to play or what the, what the rotation was going to be. Um, so it, it was, it was fun in that sense that it kind of felt like starting anew, which is something that this season kind of desperately needed. Uh, they beat the Clippers 142, 115. How, how surprised you that uh, being a, a new group of guys, they were able to to do so well against uh, one of the marquee teams in, in the league? Well, I certainly didn't think they'd win. Um, you know, the, the Clippers are, like you said, I mean, they're probably, in my mind, they're the NBA title favorites, and, and that still stays, stays the same. Um, but you do see, like, when, when teams make this big turnover, when they make a few deals, Guys, like when they come in, even if they don't know the plays or anything like that, they just kind of have an energy uh, to them. You know, there's an adrenaline, I think, that comes with coming to a new place, um, you know, wanting to prove yourself, uh, kind of make your mark on a new team. So I wasn't surprised that they played well. Um, I couldn't have predicted them, you know, shooting 60% or so from three. Offensively, that was that was just an amazing performance. Mostly, I was surprised by the defensive end. Um, you know, when a bunch of guys come together, a bunch of guys who aren't even necessarily known for their defense, you kind of question how's that end going to be? Um, the miss, you know, expecting miscommunication stuff like that. That was some of the better defense we've seen the Timberwolves play all year. Uh, they overcommunicated. They were on the same page. Um, really great effort on that side of the floor. That's probably what impressed me the most. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have ever predicted they won, let alone by 27. Um, they were really sharp on both ends, and and I don't know if they'll be able to carry that over, but uh, it was it was fun to watch at least for one night. Um, were you surprised? And can he continue this? In your opinion, um, Malik Beasley, he made seven three pointers and had 23 points in only 29 minutes, is he, could he be the third option along with D'Lo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns? Yeah, I think they acquired him with that thought potentially in mind. Um, he's somebody where when he's had minutes, larger workloads in Denver, he's produced at a pretty high level. Um, I know a lot of people in Denver really liked him, uh, you know, like fans, writers, things like that. They, some of them were frustrated, like when Gary Harris came back and, and Beasley's minutes went back down when Harris came back from injury. Uh, some of them were like, oh, this is a shame, um, you know, because Harris hasn't played that well this year, and Beasley's been great when he's had more opportunity. Um, that's why Minnesota traded, essentially flipped a first-round pick for him as part of that, that Covington trade, um, moved a first-round pick they were going to get over to Denver um, because they wanted Beasley. They wanted, uh, you know, they wanted to crack at him. They kind of wanted first dibs on re-signing him because they think he can be that kind of player. Um, now, will he, he hit seven threes a night? No. But uh, he is that guy who can kind of be that sharpshooter for you, that guy who can go off at any moment. 
Um, and the fact he grabbed 10 rebounds and was aggressive on the glass, that was pretty impressive too. Minnesota wants that out of their wings, and they've never gotten it. Um, so I think that they kind of got exactly what they hoped um, they would get um, in night one from him, and I think they do think that he's a guy who could, could maybe be that number three for them, uh, can kind of be another high-end talent player that they're always pursuing. Um, and for one night, I think they look pretty smart. Um, is is it in uh, Wolves' best interest to win right now with now that they know that they're going to keep their first-round pick? Or is it you want to win no matter what? What's your philosophy on that? Yeah, it's tough. Um, I mean, ideally you would really like to keep that pick in the top five, right? Like A, you know, even top seven, top eight. A, because it's nice to have an option uh, to pick, you know, from the best prospects in the, in, in the draft. B, it'd be really nice I think, for them to have another trade chip should they decide to try to make another splashy move around the draft, uh, maybe to acquire another, you know, player, who a little bit more established guy um, who kind of fits into their system right now and can help right away. But it's tough because when you bring in all these new players and you have guys like Malik Beasley, like Juancho, Hernan Gomez, you know, these are guys who are going to be restricted free agents this summer. And you want to know, like, A, you know, how much how much should we, we be willing to pay for these guys? And B, do we definitely want to make sure they're a part of our long-term future? Now, they acquired those guys thinking that they would be pieces of their long-term future. But you – kind of these next 30 games are almost an audition and and it gives you evidence as to whether or not that's going to work this roster as constructed with D'Lo Cat, Beasley, Quancho you know, it, you want to see if it's going to work um, so I, I really think that they're going to want to you know, if they win games they'll be like okay you know, yeah we lost some draft position but at least we know that we have a roster that's heading in the right direction that we can build around and we see what we need to make it even better and then they'll feel good about themselves heading into next season and you know, I guess maybe that's more important um, than the difference that it would be between picking five and ten. Um, who are uh, a couple guys that you are excited to see how they're going to do? Like uh, Jordan McLaughlin had 24 against the Clippers. Uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, uh, who are some of the guys that you want to see? How the they uh, James Johnson? Uh, who are some of the guys that you that maybe not everybody knows about that you think could make a difference? Yeah, you know I know Jared Vanderbilt was a guy that they were pretty excited to get as you know almost a flyer, um, a, a young guy that they could just you know, it was kind of almost a throw-in in the deal um, that they could see how he fits with their system, but. I don't know if I'd expect him to have a huge impact on this team, at least this year. Um, but I think moving forward, they're excited to have somebody like him who they can maybe develop and, and see if he turns into something. As far as right now, uh, James Johnson was definitely somebody who, you know, he was a great player in Miami. They, there's a reason why they sent him to a pretty big deal. Uh, he had a big impact on their team a couple of years ago, was was kind of one of the guys they wanted to build around. Um, now, it didn't necessarily work out, I don't think, the way that either side wanted it to. Um, but He's really skilled. Uh, we saw that on Saturday night. He can ball handle. Ryan Saunders said, you know, yeah, we'll probably run some four or five pick and roll with him, like James Johnson as the ball handler, maybe Carl Quintana as the screener, because those are the types of things that are really difficult to defend because they're different things that teams don't oppose and don't always see. Um, so when you can throw different things at opponents, you know, that's that's definitely in your advantage. Um, Saunders talked about how 
he has a bunch of scouting reports for back from when they played Miami. It was a lot of talking about James Johnson. Um, and when, and when you get guys like that, those are usually impact players. Uh, and Johnson, a like he is basically the only veteran in the locker room, um, so to provide leadership, I think, in that aspect. Defensively, he he talked a lot, which is something that they always need to do. Um, so if they, if he drives communication, that's great. And offensively, you know, he can shoot the ball a little bit. He can ball handle. He he can do so many different things, and, and he seems to want to play the game the right way. So. Uh, I'm interested to see exactly what that kind of veteran can do for a young team if he can kind of set the tone for how they play. Um, Jordan McLaughlin, he's somebody who's been, you know, for them this year, he's offensively, he's maybe run the system better than any of their other point guards because it seems to, I don't know, it seems to fit him best, uh, better than anybody else they've had at, at, at the floor general position. And he likes to push the ball. He likes to get up and down. He likes to get out in transition. He likes to move the ball. It's exactly – he plays exactly the way that you want a point guard to play in this system. Um, and I guess I'm interested, you know, now that he has shooters around him, he played, you know, and, and they created space and driving lanes, and, and he delivered that kind of performance. That's kind of the idea. That's how it's supposed to look. Um, now we'll see with D'Angelo Russell. He doesn't play as fast. He hasn't for his career. Um, we'll see if, 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 if he makes the thing hum like McLaughlin did. And like I said, Saturday night was kind of a – that's not going to be the norm either way. Uh, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see if Russell kind of comes out and, and sets a similar tone to what McLaughlin did on Saturday night. But at worst, I think Minnesota has a pretty good backup point guard for the rest of the season. Um, is uh, D'Angelo Russell expected to play in the next game, or is that still up in the air? Very much up in the air. And I would guess that he doesn't. Um, no concrete info on that. But I just think they're going to want to be really careful um with him uh, you know it, it's it, you know new acquisition somebody you just you, you spend a lot to get um i don't think they want to push him out there until he's fully comfortable uh and you know with the all-star break coming up it gives a lot of reasons to be careful you know i, I mean say say he just doesn't even play these next two games i think that's really possible that he just doesn't make his debut until after the all-star break because it doesn't make sense to push it um like we talked about you don't even necessarily want to win all these games as a franchise anyway, as you're trying to, you know, maybe keep a decent draft pick, but also, you know, there's just no reason to push Russell out there before he's comfortable. Uh, my last question, and I'll let you go in while you're busy. Uh, what is your thoughts on uh, Jared Culver? He's been up and down this year, and uh, I guess I was expecting a little bit more out of him coming into the season, where are we at with uh, with Culver? I think it's a little alarming right now in the fact that the only real time that Jarrett Culver showed sparks and looked like the guy at Texas Tech that he was um, was when Towns was out and Culver kind of, you know, could be super aggressive and be almost like one of the number one, number two option on the court. Uh, and then as soon as Towns came back, he kind of disappeared again. And that's not good because Jared Culver is not going to be, you know, uh, more than a number three, maybe offensive option, number four, especially early in his career. So if he can't adapt to that, um, if he can't find ways to stay aggressive, stay in rhythm um, while not being one of the main options, then he's really going to struggle. Um, and that free throw shooting percentage also is terrible. It looks – I mean, the shot, it looks so uncomfortable at the line. It doesn't look natural. It's not like his regular shooting motion at all. Um, he's also he at Texas Tech. He was more of a mid-range player, and Minnesota obviously doesn't really want that as part of their offensive system. But he's really struggling with the three, you know, with just sitting floating outside of the arc. He's made some threes, but it, it's just not his game. 
it doesn't look like a good fit right now, him him with this team. Um, and that's something where, you know, if they wanted to run that system, I'm, I'm really surprised that they took a player who wouldn't really seem to fit it. Uh, but they do like what he can do on the defensive end, and you know that's been getting better throughout the season. So I guess that's a positive. But offensively, I I think it's it's definitely okay to sound the alarms right now because it does not look good. All right, Jesus, I want to thank you for uh, making the time this morning. I know you got a busy day. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime soon. All right, sounds good, Travis. Thanks for having me. That was Jace Frederick of the St. Paul Pioneer Press talking about Timberwolves. And uh, before we get to the big interview, uh, I want to play uh, Jeff Johnson of the Cedar Rapids, Iowa Gazette. And uh, he's going to talk about uh, the baseball trade with the Twins. And also the big Gopher Iowa game on Sunday. So Jeff Johnson is who I'm gonna play. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is from the Cedar Rapids Gazette, Jeff Johnson. So without further ado, I'm gonna bring Jeff on, and we'll get it. How you doing, Jeff? How's it going? I'm doing I'm excellent. Good. How are you? Just uh, pitchers and catchers, right? So let's, yeah, let's go. Yeah, they got they got some different. I want to ask you my first question. Uh, I believe uh, Gratterall spent some time in Cedar Rapids. What was your yeah. impression of him when you saw him? Uh, I. Actually, uh, every time he pitched, or most every time he pitched at home, I went behind home plate and sat just to to get kind of a real true appreciation of what 100 miles per hour looks like. And uh, you know, it was it was very impressive, obviously. And you know, he was a good he was a really good kid. He uh, he worked very hard. Um, he he was worked very hard on his English. He was very nice to everybody. Um, so. You know, I under I understood the trade. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be disappointing not to see him in a Twins uniform, but I guess you have to you have to give up something to get something, right? Yeah, my my only uh, question is, uh, he had uh, multiple injuries. Did was he injured at all in Cedar Rapids? No, he was he was he was uh, just coming back. Um, he'd missed the previous year with the Tommy John surgery and, uh, they brought him here. Oh, jeepers. I want to say, uh, late May, maybe, uh, early June when it, when the weather started to warm up. So he was just, just coming off his, uh, uh, his Tommy John, he'd been gone for a year and they were very careful with him, obviously. Um, but he got through everything, uh, here without issue and you know he got promoted i think later in the year to to, to fort myers so uh and you know that's another thing travis you know injury uh i mean you never know you never really know with anybody especially that somebody that's had uh you know an elbow issue like he has and, and a shoulder issue and uh, i think certainly he's, he's going to be a bullpen guy moving forward I, I don't see the 
the starting thing just because of his arm in, uh, issues and, and things like that. But, uh, boy, uh, he should be pretty good, I would think, uh, if he stays healthy in the back end of uh, uh, of L.A.'s bullpen. Yeah, that's that, the whole thing. If he had remained a starter, there's no way the Twins would have parted with him. It just, Correct. Yeah. It, it just, he had multiple of injuries and and he he would. I, I really think he's going to be a good bullpen guy. And but like you said, uh, to get something, you have to get give up something. Do you think that was a fair trade? for the twins yeah without a doubt and you know it's interesting too the other kind of pieces that went with it uh you know minnesota gave up one of a, a, a triple a outfielder who was probably blocked from uh from getting much of any playing time in minnesota uh and and you know the twins got 10 million bucks too to to pay off some uh you know some of uh salaries from guys as well and they're going to get a minor leaguer who I guess we don't know exactly who that is too. So, yeah, I, I for sure thought it was uh, it was a fair trade. Yeah, it, it's a guy you guys might actually see in Cedar Rapids. It's it, uh, a nineteen-year-old uh, catcher. So, yeah, Camargo. So yeah. It, yeah. So you guys might get to see see him some this summer. Um. But the reason I wanted to talk to you, though, is uh, the big game is on, I think, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hawkeyes, Gophers, part two. The Hawkeyes put it on the Gophers pretty good the first time in Iowa City. Um, but this is kind of a make-or-break game for the Gophers if they want to make the NCAA tournament. Uh what what do the Gophers need to improve on in your estimation to make it? Because Iowa is very good. I've watched them. That Iowa and Illinois game was excellent uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, what do the Gophers need to improve on to uh, make it a game? Make it where it could could come down to the last three minutes. Yeah. Um... That's a great question. Uh, you know, it, it, obviously, when you talk to these two teams, it's it's a great, uh, um, you know, the first thing you think is is the great inside matchup, right, between uh, uh, Oturu from from uh, from Minnesota and and Luca Garza from Iowa. Uh, so you know, if they, if they you know somehow kind of cancel each other out, and you go through the other the the guys, the rest of the guys in the lineup, and uh, you know, if Minnesota can hold down. You know, at Joe Weiss camp, for instance, uh, uh, you know, I think that would go a long way toward toward uh, maybe giving Minnesota a, a victory there. So, uh, to me, it's the other four guys maybe that that are most important, uh, other than the centers from from both teams. And uh, you know, Iowa's uh, Iowa doesn't have a, a very big rotation right now. They they've got. Uh, uh, you know they play at Indiana tonight, so it, it's it's gonna it's a tough road. Certainly, they're going from I think from Indiana to, uh, uh, or you know they they they're on the road here for a little while. And Cordell Pemsel's a guy who's out, 
uh, out of the lineup right now uh, who, who got uh, in trouble with the law again, uh, driving with a, a revoked license. So he's not going to play tonight. And I uh, don't know if he'll be back for Sunday. I, it looks like he might. But, you know, if, if he's not around, I mean, that uh, a team that doesn't have a very big rotation, is that rotation uh, Iowa-wise gets, gets even smaller, and that would certainly be an advantage for Minnesota. How big of a loss would Jordan go on on this year's team? Yeah, I mean, anytime you're talking about a uh, you know the all-time three-point shooter in in Iowa history, uh, you know that's that's a huge loss. Uh, uh, you, you know, it's it's kind of one of those deals where they've been able to overcome that with. Uh, you know, with, with Garza, as I mentioned, being, you know, really developing into a, certainly an All-American and, you know, even uh, perhaps a, a player of the year type guy on the inside. And, you know, Joe Wieskamp's continued to develop. Uh, you know, they've got a redshirt freshman, T.J. Frederick, that is uh, is a real good uh, long-distance shooter. He, he's done a great job. And, uh, you know, so it's kind of been a group effort to, to replace Bohannon and, and his production from uh you know especially from the perimeter and you know I think a lot of Iowa fans are are, are kind of excited if, if things go right you know Bohannon comes back uh one more year next year uh off that injury and if he can be you know 100 uh, percent physically and then you got Garza if he decides to come back and and Weiss Camp and and Frederick as I mentioned and you know, Connor McCaffrey's done a great job at, at the point guard, uh, one of the, the best assist-to-turnover ratios in the Big Ten. So, uh, you know, Iowa fans around here, they're very excited about this team, and but, you know, also with a eye towards what could be next season as well. It, it appears that Iowa's going to be a top four or five seed in the Big Ten tournament. Uh, in your mind, can Iowa win the Big Ten in at least a, a tournament? Yeah, I, you know, I think geez, geez, uh, traps. I think you you could you could see a lot of different teams winning that thing this year. Uh, I just think the Big Ten there's so much parity, and and you see it uh, with you know with Michigan State, uh, you know, finally winning a game what the other night last night. To, to break a, a what a three or four game losing streak, so yeah. I think up and down, up and down the line. I mean, you could uh, the conference is is so good and and so even this season that you could see, you know, uh, any number of, of teams, uh, at least a half dozen, I think, uh, uh, with legit chance of, of winning that thing. And uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many Big Ten teams get the NCAA tournament and. You know uh, the damage maybe they can do once that once that rolls around next month. Yeah, it, it, it seems like either you're either a Big Ten fan or you're a Big Ten uh, where they don't think too much of the Big Ten. Uh, I, I was following uh, uh, I can't remember the guy's name on on Twitter and he was just railing on the Big Ten. Um, is this good teams or is it parody because they're not as good at teams? At the top, yeah, I I, I kind of see what you're saying. Um, 
That's a great question. Uh, I think I think it's it's good teams uh, up and down the line. Now, do, now is there uh, you know especially with Michigan State's you know failures here of late, uh, is there a great great team in the Big Ten? Well, you know I think that's a legit uh, a legit debate uh, with the answer maybe not or maybe being no at this point, but. I think it's a it's uh there's so many very good teams in this league. Maybe maybe that's the best way to put it. And uh you know, you're you're seeing that in the standings and you know, it's it's uh you know, Penn State's a supposed you know, a perennial cellar dweller and they're up toward the top of the conference now and, and Rutgers is a legit basketball team as well. So uh, you know, even even the programs, even the schools that usually aren't very good in the Big Ten uh, are having really good years, and that just makes uh, what is always a, a very, very good league even even that much stronger. I was thinking, uh, besides Nebraska and Northwestern, if you go on the road without your best game, you're going to lose. Would you Absolutely. agree with that? Absolutely, and you know I think that's proven out. In, in uh, I don't have the the, the home win loss record in the league off the top of my head, but, uh, uh, I know it'd been what, two or three, three, four weeks maybe before a road team in the big 10 even won a game, uh, in conference mm-hmm. play. So, you know, that, that just goes to prove it. And, you know, even, uh, uh, I'm thinking, uh, what Wisconsin, uh, shorthanded Wisconsin without the, the Davidson kid who was suspended, you know, plays Michigan state at home and, and comes out with the win. So, you know, there's kind of your perfect example right there. You know, road wins in this league are always um, uh, always so tough to uh, obtain, and and may, probably this year even more so. They're they're like gold, and and you hope that you can mine for you know two, three, four of them by the by the time your your season's over, because they are they were they are worth a lot. That's the Gophers' biggest problem there. Overall, they're ten and two at home, but they're one and seven on the road. Yeah, and you know that—that's why the record is what? What twelve and eleven overall? Is that what Minnesota is? Yeah. I think so. You know, uh, but you know they still got a little bit of time, you know, to to, to kind of turn that around here and and uh, you know maybe get some positive momentum going into uh, into like the Big Ten tournament, and you know you never know. If you can get on a roll, yeah, you know who knows. So uh, Luca Garza, he kind of came out of nowhere this year for non-Iowa backers. Um, were, was he this good last year, or and I missed him, or has <laughs> this been a revelation? Uh, it's. It, you know, he, he made some a lot of strides, I think, last season. Um, but he really, really worked hard this offseason. Um, his, his father, Frank, is a former college player who's kind of his, his mentor. And uh, the family has roots in uh, over in Europe. So uh, Luca went over with his dad over to Serbia all summer and just, you know, worked on conditioning and, uh, losing weight and all of his post moves, and that has certainly paid off. I mean, he's been he's been unbelievable, uh, you know, without a doubt. And, and his game is is so versatile in, in that you know he's got such an array of 
uh, of interior moves that, that he can score on. He also, you know, he can go out, he can hit the 10-footer, the 12-footer, and, and then he's got three-point range as well. So, uh, I mean, the kid's just, just been unbelievable. Uh, he's kind of an old-school player to me in that he's he's not – very athletic whatsoever. Uh, you know, the foot speed is is uh, negligible at best, shall we say. The athleticism overall is negligible. He's, but he's he's just got all those uh, array of post moves, and he knows how to play inside. And uh, you know, he, he gets a ton of points. And then when he's double and triple teamed, I mean, he can he can float out to the perimeter and do damage that way. So. Yeah, he has been a revelation, uh, without a doubt, as far as, you know, being this good uh, right now. But, but uh, you know, he, he showed glimpses, no question about that, his first two years at Iowa. Um, do you foresee him coming back, or do you see him putting his name in, into the draft? That's the million-dollar question around here. Um you know, he really hasn't given any inclination. Um, I don't think he's on any, uh, honestly, at a, the latest NBA draft boards. Uh, I haven't seen his name at all in, in the first two rounds. Uh, you know, now, is he going to be a guy that, that decides, well, you know, maybe I'll just go over to Europe and, and make a lot of money and continue to improve, improve my game and maybe get a shot eventually in the NBA that way? Nobody really knows, so... Uh, he's not saying anything. Um, you know, I, I really don't have a, a, an inclination. Maybe a 50-50 chance that he comes back next year. Um, I wouldn't be surprised either way, let's put it that way. I'm I, I'm, I'm hoping that, that he uh, goes into the draft <laughs> selfishly. <laughs> um Aturo, I think, is probably going to go pro, and yeah. uh, I, I don't think he should because uh, he gets bullied a little bit. Some sure. of the bigger centers play little bully ball with him, and I, I think he could use another year in the weight room, but that's just me. Um, who is your pick to win the Big Ten overall this year? In the regular season, regular season, I I still think Michigan State's going to get it done. I I just, you know, with with Tom Izzo and and, and that tradition and and that team, I think they've had their blip and they're really they're really going to find their uh, their footing here, um, and, and they're going to get it done uh, in the regular season. And then, like I said, I geez, I have no idea who's going to end up winning the tournament and. Uh, but that's uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. Let's let, let's put it that way. I actually I watched them the other night. Uh, Maryland really impresses me, and yeah, that's that's who I'm picking to win the regular season title. They just Mark Churgeon does a really good job putting a good team every year. So we'll have to see. Well, you know we have uh, legalized sports gambling in this state, so if you want me to put a put a couple of dollars on the Terrapins for you, you you, uh, you know you just let me know. I got you handled, Travis. No problem. All right, JJ, I'm I'm out of time, but uh, thanks for making the time for me. It's always fun to chat, 
and I'll, I'll make sure I make a trip down to Iowa this this summer. Look forward to seeing you. Thanks. It's always good All to right. talk to you. Take care. That was Jeff Johnson of the Cedar Rapids Gazette talking about school for basketball and Big Ten basketball. And uh, the time is upon us. We're, uh, we will be celebrating Coach Presup's 600th win as a, a head coach. And... Uh, Corey Heppelow will, will be joining me, too, to welcome him. One second while I call Coach. Hello. Coach, how's it going? Yeah, it's going great. How about you? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for making the time for Minnesota Sports Weekly. We we appreciate it. And and uh I have uh Corey Heppla on the line and uh Oh boy. He is going going to uh be joining us. So uh let's let's get at it. This will be good. Hey, Corey, coach, I'm going? nestled up in my I'm nestled up in my good old perm yellow jacket blanket that I got for hitting so many free throws. So I'm feeling good, man. Hey, guys, you're probably looking good too, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the hair is just fine, man. The hair is just okay. Fine. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I wondered if you greased your back for the occasion here or what? Yeah, congratulations on win number six hundred, man. It's so awesome. Well, well, it yeah, takes an army to do it, and uh, we finally got her done. But it's a special group of guys that are uh, overachieving this year and doing things the right way. Yeah. Coach, uh, what was that like, uh, achieving uh, that milestone? Well, you know, it, it was really in the background for a long time because I really have never, I'll be honest, I've never kept track of my record for for a long, long time. So, it was kind of surprising when they brought it up, but uh, it was a great milestone for me and our, our team and our community because it was against a great team in Osaka that day. They were, I think, they were eighteen and one at the time, and we were seventeen and zero. So it brought a lot. It was a good night for everybody, and uh, it, it just represents Perm pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, what uh, you guys are nineteen and zero now. Uh, what how is the season going in your, in your uh, opinion? Well, we've overachieved a lot. We, you know, we lost a lot of really good kids from last year, and and but the kids here have uh, we've kind of developed that culture of winning, and some kids really went to work in the off season, and 
and came into uh, practice ready to go, and uh, they've really been uh, playing their roles well. And we, you know, we had two really good players and another kid that played quite a bit back, and and they're really good leadership. And so it's all kind of just falling into place, and they're they're doing the right things, and uh, we're finding ways to win. And so it's uh it's been a fun season for everybody, and uh, we just hope it continues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey, uh, what what was it like playing for Coach? You know, um, it's um, it's funny because I remember the first day that he walked into uh, the gym, and they said, "Well, this is the new the new coach." I think I was the summer after my seventh grade year, and I can only imagine what what Coach was thinking because he's walking into this old gym at PHS and seeing a bunch of basketball players that didn't know anything of what they were doing. And he's thinking, what, what kind of, what kind of program am I taking over a program that just won one game in a season? And, um, but I'll never forget when he walked in and I remember thinking, man, that's, that's the new coach. But I, I never, I would have never thought the, the, uh, the success, but, but also just how he's impacted so many lives and mine included. And just as a, uh, as a coach and as a human being and, and coach, I know I've, I've shared this with you before, but, um, you know, he's, he's been such a, uh, a leader, um, and the life lessons that I see now, as I look back at that particular time in my life. And, uh, I know I wouldn't be where I'm at today without you coach and, and the lessons that you've taught that were instilled at that age that, that, you know, basketball was a part of it, but it was symbolic of everything else in life. And, and I know I'm not the only one, but, it was those lessons early on in life. And, and then it, and it continues, you know, coaches, uh, Travis coaches there for me now. And, and we text throughout the year and, and um, he's a mentor and, and I would say a, a really good friend too. And so it's just that type of relationship, I guess. I would have never, never anticipated in that first day. I remember when you walked in. Well, it was, uh, it was a culture shock for me. I'll tell you that, but, uh, Travis, you got to know about Corey. He had uh, probably big goals back in seventh grade, and and then he could probably elaborate more on his story in eighth grade. But Corey, I, I can't thank you enough for all the kind words and what you've done for me over the years. It's it goes two ways in everything we do. And uh, like Travis, like Corey says, we not only have become uh, coaching and athletes, but we become good friends and we share stories together and we support each other when we're down and out and and we're celebrating good times and. Uh, his career has been something uh, a lot more amazing than mine, uh, but in a different way. And uh, Corey was our one and only MVP up there for a long time, and he uh, set the standard for a lot of ki- a lot of other kids. And uh, when you saw Corey, he was in the gym working hard, and uh, it just exemplifies what he did too to get where he, uh, he is at today. And that's that's hard work. And we and uh, every player would probably say that uh, Coach Gressup isn't the most fun to be around all the time because uh, I always have high expectations. I demand a lot, but uh, deep down I can say that truly that I care about my players and uh, I will always be there for them. Yep. And that's certainly, I mean, that's one thing that I I feel and I know so many, so many players that have, have played under you have felt too. And, and I just think of, and I don't know if I ever shared this with you, but one of the greatest moments, and I'm looking at it right now, but one of the greatest moments of my entire life, not even sports related, but entire life. And I still, I still remember exactly the moment today, but um, after all we went through and, and, and you were hard on me, you know, you were hard on me, but you also knew that I, I, I needed that. I wanted that. Right. You know? And, and I think that was, that's always a skill that you've had is that, that where you push them, but you also, they also know that you care for them 
but I, I'll just I'll never forget after, um, you know, not making the, the travel team in eighth grade, but then you really pushing me and saying you can do it and pushing me and pushing me to get better and get better. And I always just wanted you wanted to impress you and I wanted your approval. And then to, to get uh, MVP my senior year when you when you told me about it and you gave me a hug. And I, w- I will never forget that because it was to this moment one of the greatest days of my life, just because it, it showed like. Look, if you have good people surrounding you, people who really care for you, and you commit yourself to whatever that is, you can achieve it. And it's just it's a beautiful lesson, I think, for for anybody out there, but but especially kids. Yeah, you did that all right. Uh, look where you started out, and look where you're at now, and where you were around the block. And and uh, Travis, if you never saw Corey play, he was a fierce competitor, but um, he did it all in the uh, in the gym when no one was watching. He uh, He'd go in there for an hour and a half on his own and uh, do his work with nobody watching him. He didn't, he didn't need anybody to watch him get better. He just went out and got it. And uh, that work, hard work paid him the MVP, but then he went and put goals on his wall and, and he wanted to become a, uh, one of these great journalists and he wanted to be on TV and he wanted to be a sports cast guy. And, and look at him today. He's been uh, as successful as anybody out of Pearl. Well, the other thing, yeah, Travis, is – I had a, you know, you had a guy right in the gym who was, I don't know how old you were, Coach. I don't know. It's been in your 30s, but I still couldn't guard you. Like, that's the funny thing. You're the hardest person to ever ever guard. He was so fast. Yeah, we went at each other once in a while and talked a little smack. (laughs) And we had some some fun times that we probably can't share on the air. But, you know, they were good times. And and we remember those things. But that's what it's all about as a sports is you remember some things that are fun and, Sometimes you don't remember scores of games or what went on with the with the game, but uh, we all know it's it's uh, it's got to be fun game too. And and sometimes hard work isn't all fun, but a lot of kids see the end results. They see what they get when they're when they're done working hard or they keep pushing them hard. There's something good at the end of the tunnel, and and we've been fortunate. We've been good for a long time now, and I hope we continue that tradition here in Perm. Yeah, coach. Uh, my my my. Main question for those that that don't know you or or haven't followed your career, what what is your main philosophy as a as a head coach? What do you want to get out of your players? And uh, what 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 I guess what your main philosophy? Well, I think Travis, I'll be honest with you, the the main thing kids know, especially if they've been through the program a little bit is that they got to work their tails off and play on the defensive end of the floor or their chances of getting on the floor are, are a lot slimmer because uh, we take a lot of pride in our defense. And uh, this group of kids we got this year are doing it again as we allowed only 37 points again last night against Barnesville. And they just get down and they get really uh, get, get to work. And a lot of kids know that. And then uh, the expectations I set forward are that they got to work hard. They have, a, have to have a good attitude. And they got to be a good teammate, you know. Those those things alone uh, will not only carry him on the basketball floor, but they're going to carry him in life. Because if you do those things, you know, you'd be a good uh, employer for some of your boss. You're, it's going to pay off. So we kind of live on those those little uh, pillars quite a bit. And Corey could attest to that defensive end of the floor is probably one of the main things we really really stress year in and year out. And uh, kids really buy into that. Yep, the whole defensive system too. It's not just guarding your guy one-on-one, but it's helping your teammate being there and, and making sure that 
um, you're focused on that end and not just worried about how many points you're going to score. So that's that's very Corey, true. Yeah. You know, we have and with Corey being one of our MVPs. I don't know, Corey, what did you average in that? You remember? Um, I think it was like fourteen or fifteen points, something like that. So it wasn't it wasn't okay. a ton, but I think I was the what. And that's the one thing that stood out to me too. Is I know that um, is that you really keyed in on on leadership too. And I, you know, I, that was one thing I learned from you is is being a good leader and, and being a vocal leader and standing up for what is right. And I think, you know, I think I averaged about 14, 15, but I shot pretty well from the field and, and was a smart player, but, but those were all things that, you know, I really took to heart the lessons that, that I learned from you. And, and I think that was, you know, when you talk about MVP, I think those were the things that helped me earn MVP were those other traits, those, those leadership oh, yeah. that I got from, from watching I, you. And I can tell you one thing, Travis, what earned him that is, you know, uh, Corey's one of those guys that you see somebody you knew, he'd walk up in the crowd and shake their hand and always had high, he had, had high character. And uh, and people notice those things. Like you said, he only averaged about 15 a game to win the MVP. I think, oh, he got to average 30 a game. But all those little things that, that he did during that year and uh, and continues to do in his life now is treat people the right way, and that goes a long way in life. One thing uh, I wanted Corey, to always uh, ask you, Coach. Oh, sorry, Travis. Yes. Just, one thing I've I've never asked you, Coach, but um, you know, as you look back now and just kind of reflect, was there because it was not it was not overnight success, right? I mean, you had to build a program. You know, you had to get uh, an energy with the with the jacket buddies and with the younger grades, and you had to like you also had to beat down that mentality of like, well, Perm's never good in basketball, right? I mean. Perm had never been ever been to state. They had never won a section title, and, and all these things. And so you really had to, you know, beat that narrative out of out of uh, what was stuck there for so long. What, I guess at what point did you know that okay, we we are building a program and it's a successful program? I guess is there a time when you thought, okay, we are not just winning games, but we're going to be really good year in year out. Well, that started. I think I'll be honest with you. We were just talking about that a few days ago. Is when. We we had lost the staples. I think Perm had lost the staples. I don't know countless number of times, and and they were the perennial power for many many years way back. And we finally beat them. And now I don't think they've beat us since. So it was one of those key games, you know, a key moment that you thought, girl, there is hope here. And as Coach Schwantz and I, my assistant coach Travis, we uh, were wondering many times, are we going to get over the hump? We were winning 18 games, 17, 18. You know, even up to 20 games, and we're still losing that first round of that section. We thought, oh, no, are we ever going to get there? And and once we got there and got over that hump, that staples hump, and then the first round of the section hump, then it started to blossom. And, but you got to re- realize it takes a lot of hard work. And uh, that's one thing I will uh, kind of pat myself on the back for is I'm not, I'm not scared of working hard, and I want to put all the time in and get that youth programs going and, and – Hard work usually pays off in some way, not always a state tournament or a section title, but in this case it has a few times. And, and uh, you know, I like guy like me, I'm just honored to be a head coach somewhere. And, and in Perm, I'm, I'm fortunate that we really, really turned things around and it all started way back. And uh, Corey's group was part of that. And uh, just kind of continued to grow. And then now we just have to really keep working hard and keep the kids focused on what the, the main goal is and keep a vision on that section title every year. Uh, Corey, uh, well, now that you're at WTTO, uh, is there anything that you 
have learned from coach that that you use on an everyday basis? Yeah, you know, he he uh coach talks about hard work. I mean, those those are certainly the the lessons I think I learned kind of early on. I thought, you know, before he got there, you know, 6th, 7th grade, those type of years and and I, I don't know, I was just kind of had great parent support, but sometimes you need that other person that's not your parents that really, really cares about you or sees something in you. And, and coach was that guy for me. And, and I know I'm not the only one he's, he's, you know, positively affected, but, but those are the kind of lessons I tell, I tell great coach stories all the time, just because I have such fond memories and, and, and it's also too, it wasn't like, okay, I graduated and now we're talking for the first time. It's, it's a friendship, you know, when oh, I go no. home, we, we, we hang and we, we text. And so it's, but it, that I guess that to me is is that that coach player now friendship, um, you know relationship is really special to me. Um, but the, the as he mentioned the hard work like that I just when you're when your head coach works like that and he's somebody that you look up to which which was for me and my teammates and all of us around. I mean you just model that you go well that's just what you're supposed to do right and I think that's something that I've carried on in the rest of my life, or at least have tried to, because I'm like, well, you know, look at, look at what has made him so successful. And I think too, the lesson learned that, you know, he got the perm and it took, it took, you know, three, four years to win 15, 17, 18 games. And then as coach mentioned too, to get to that next hump, it took a couple more years, a few more years, but like he just kept going up the ladder and never got too discouraged and just kept going and going because he knew deep down that his hard work was paying off and it would pay off even more. And he stuck to it. And I, I just, I have so much a deep admiration for him and, and such a respect for him. And, and those are lessons that just even while I wasn't playing for him anymore, I was still watching and going, man, you know, and that's why when they, you know, uh, once the state in 2011 and have been back so many times since it was, it was like, you just could not have felt better because he's just the character that he has and, and, you know, everyone that he's, he's touched. It was just so amazing. Uh, Coach, is, is is it difficult to stay on task when you've had success and, and uh, I guess what I'm asking is, is it hard to not, go by your laurels and, and not work as hard? No, I, I think it's ingrained in me. I, I think it's been, I don't know, since I was really young, I think it was ingrained by my family and my father was a hard worker. So no, I I really don't. I, I think it's, it's something when you start to win, Travis, you want to keep that tradition going and it's just an automatic thing that you do every year. And, and if you got those kids that they're buying in, um, it's so easy because a lot of the hard work is done by them, and and uh, sometimes the head coach or whoever gets some uh, gets some uh, success for it. But they're the ones doing all the work, and and uh, behind the scenes, there's so many things going on with your assistant coaches, and and people don't know how much my family has to put up with uh, in the last 35 years of me being gone from home a lot of nights. Uh, not being home with my wife for help raising my kids at certain times, but it takes a family and and it takes an army to get this done. And so I don't really rest on anything. I think uh, it's expected of me if I'm hired as a head coach and I, 
I think I've even told my wife a couple times that, you know, if I'm not doing it, working hard and doing what I like to do at a, at a hard work pace, uh, it's time to get out and let somebody else do it. So it comes pretty easy. And, uh, I don't like accolades, Travis. I'm not, I really do not. I can honestly say that. And, and we had a little celebration last night at a gym that was kind of special for me, but it's, you know, what it is, it's, it's everybody involved. It's not just me. It's, it's everybody that puts in the time and, and effort and the support the community gave and, and guys like Corey, I, I got that. And first of all, I was on there. Here's Corey already contacted me. I mean, it, he didn't have to do that. And uh, those are the kinds of things that are rewarding that make you work even harder when you got former players like Corey who uh, really, really respect what you've done for him. And I respect him back. And, and then that's easy to do what you do. Well, and Travis, let me add to like, just knowing coach, like uh, as his friend, He's just, like he said, he's just wired that way. And, and it's not just, he's not just a Hall of Fame coach. He's a Hall of Fame teacher, too. Like, it, it extends into his classroom. His students love him. And so it's just, you know, in all areas of his life, he's just, he's a Hall of Famer, you know? And that's really nice of you to say that, Corey. It's, that's really a, a high character thing to do on air like this. It's, uh, I enjoy my teaching job, too. Uh, some days I drive you crazy, sixth graders, but, uh, and the most part, then you're 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 really affecting them. I think now deep down they know you care for them, and if you can get that across, they'll do anything for you too. Yep. What, uh, coach? What what's next for you in my life? Do you want to keep? keep coaching for a long time or, or, or what, what's the plan? Well, right now, you know, I've, I've got three years left of my teaching career and I can retire with the rule of 90. And, uh, right now we're going year by year in the coaching. And, uh, like I say, if I'm not, if I'm not putting in the time, I'm not working hard, uh, then I, I'm going to get out. But if I still enjoy it and I'm willing to work and, and uh, keep this thing going in Perm. I'm going to stay with it as long as I can because it's truly a passion of mine. Uh, I don't know what else I do because I don't have any other hobbies. So I, I don't know what I'd do after if I had to sit around. But, you know, at some point, my wife and I will both retire, and uh, we got some, we probably can find something to do together and spend some quality time too. So I think it's going to continue for a while, and this, for some reason, uh, you know, you never know, Perm might need a change. I don't know that, but... Uh, as of now, everything's going well, and we're happy, and uh, we'll just continue doing what we're doing. Um, I want to thank you guys for agreeing to do this because I, I respect the both of you so much. You are both Class A people, and I wanted to get the two of you on the line at the same time, so... I could learn more about what perm basketball means to each of you. And so I just want to thank you guys for, for making the time for, for me and uh, doing it together because you didn't have to do that. And uh, I appreciate it more than, you know, I want, well, I want to thank you. Travis, you know, it goes both ways. It was nice of of you just to have us on, and for me to do this with Corey is an honor. It's an honor. I 
I I truly have a lot of respect for that. Uh, you're still a young man, and and uh, you just watch how successful you'll be at in his life. So, and I respect what you've done with this program. You've asked me many times, and and I appreciate that too. Yeah, thank you, Travis. All right, and uh, I appreciate it too. Thank you. All right, uh, guys. Uh, thanks for uh, making the time, and uh, we might have to do this again sometime sometime soon. Thanks a lot. You bet. Thank All you. Right. Thanks, Travis. See you, Cor. See you, Coach. You bet. Thank yep. you. Yep. You guys Bye-bye. have a good night. Yep. That was uh, Coach Dave Cressup and uh, WCCO uh, morning show head uh, Corey Heffala. One of the those are the two of the nicest people that you're ever gonna meet, and uh, I want to thank them for making the time for me and. Uh, Yeah, so uh, let's get on to the next part of the show. I have a a caller. I think it's Chris Blessing to talk prospects, Twins prospects. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's up? Uh, Thanks for, for waiting. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Uh, my first question, oh, my uh, co-host is uh, joining us now, so I'm going to let Corey Englehart onto the line, and we can talk Twins Prospects. All right. That sounds awesome. Corey, how's it going? How, how are you feeling? Pretty good. Sorry about being late. I had a kid who had a quick nightmare that I had to help put back to bed. So apologize about that, but I'm feeling all right. How's everything going? We had a good, I had a good conversation with uh, the perm basketball coach and uh, one of his former players. So that was kind of, kind of neat. So uh, let's talk to his prospects. Uh, how big of a loss, uh, Chris, is uh, losing uh, Bruce Bradderall for the twin system as a whole? Well, first off, you have a pretty deep uh, system with uh, with front-end pitching with uh, uh, Blazovich and uh, Duran. Um, of course, uh, Gratterall was a little bit uh, further along in development than those two. Uh, but there were some serious question marks with Gratterall. Um, you know, I heard pretty much people were arguing back and forth. Is he a starter? Is he a reliever? And uh, Ray Butler, Prospects uh, 365, I think he said it best in a text message to me a few weeks ago that, like, uh, more and more people weren't believing uh, Gratterall as a starting pitcher. Uh, he had talked to his sources. 
I'd talked to my sources, and we pretty much, uh, you know, felt like Ratterall was kind of falling uh, in prospect ranks. Uh, he's a perfect guy for the Dodgers. Dodgers like his type of uh, type of pitching. They're able to mold guys uh, better into roles than some teams. Uh, we've seen it with the Rays as well, where um, if somebody has a deficiency, and in this case, uh, Gratterall doesn't really extend well in his delivery. So um, even though he's throwing 100 miles per hour, it's still getting on to hitters. And, and really the movement's what's causing swings and misses. So if the movement's not there, the swings and misses aren't there. Uh, and uh, especially when he's up, that's when the movement kind of disappears. So uh, teams like the Dodgers and the, and the Rays find ways to use these guys that might have some deficiencies to keep them uh, maybe in a starting role for five innings uh, where they have a tremendous pitching depth that they can get a guy come in the sixth inning. Where if you're like the Rays, you know, Gratterall could be a – uh, second pitcher, he could be an opener. He can also be a uh, late inning reliever um, type. So, like, for, those two teams are kind of interchangeable in the way they use pitching. So, um, I think it's a best of both all worlds for each team because you guys got a uh, uh, really good pitcher in return. Corey, do you have something to uh... – a question? Well, I, I had a few follow-ups. Uh, Chris, I appreciate your work, and I, I follow your writing a little bit. And I, I, I first, before just general twins question, uh, prospect question, I, I wanted to get your take on uh, what's been written on for going on six months or a year now, the idea of losing uh, minor league teams across all levels just being contracted and how that might affect the work that you do uh, in terms of going to places that are kind of local to where you live to, to research and, and view prospects. Yeah, it would, it would affect me greatly if the current plan is going, uh, going through. Uh, as you guys know from, you know, you guys originally found me when the twins were in Chattanooga and Chattanooga is um is one of the teams on the chopping block, even though it's a franchise that's been around for over a hundred years. Um, Chattanooga had some unique issues. Um, unfortunately, Major League Baseball has said like some of the issues is logistics. Chattanooga has great logistics. It's uh, fairly easy to get to different stadiums because there's two interstates running through the city. Um, and then the other, th- and there's the third one just outside the city. Uh, so, like, logistics is an issue. I would say that the issue there is kind of like the plane surface, uh, and that's one of the reasons why Minnesota moved out of uh, Chattanooga. Uh, the stadium was built to be 20 years, to, to last 20 years pretty much. It was, there's kind of some some cheap construction used in the construction of uh, AT&T Field. And they were in the process of uh, – uh, getting a new stadium hammered out, and then I guess they got wind of uh, the report of the 42 teams uh, sometime in the summer, and people got very quiet all of a sudden. Uh, I'd also lose coverage in the Appalachian League, which I kind of I, I kind of expected, um, just because uh, I don't know if either of you have ever been to the Appalachian region, but uh, there are a bunch of 
smaller cities uh, like Elizabethton, which is one of my favorite places to go. Their general manager is awesome. Uh, the people in Elizabethton uh, are very awesome people. Uh, plus, there's a Chick-fil-A right near the stadium. That's always a good uh, good stop for me. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, the Appalachian League just doesn't really draw much money. Uh, they uh, end up playing in stadiums that aren't really the the best for club for clubs. Uh, Elizabethton actually has uh, invested a few million dollars with the city of Elizabethton in the clubhouse, and it's uh, supposedly one of the better clubhouses in the Appalachian League now. Um, and they did that per request from the Twins. And um, so, like, it's going to be a hardship on the Appalachian League. It would be a hardship on Chattanooga as well, but uh, that region in the Appalachians, is, it, it's, it, it depends. I mean, the, the game grows through uh, these small-town teams. Um, but I, I fully expect that there, there's going to be some contraction going on. And I hope that Chattanooga's not in there. I hope that Appy's not in there. But uh, being realistic, there's a very good chance the Appalachian League will be gone as we know it uh, in 2021. All right, uh, I have a few uh, twins-related questions. Uh, how good are our? Uh, I'm gonna mispronounce his name. I always do. Uh, Belazovich and uh, Duran. Uh, do they have high upside? Yeah, they both. They both do. Um, they both kind of have some of the similar problems as well. Um, they're both power pitchers. Um, uh, Balzovich is a tall, projectable frame, uh, but he has a longer arm action. Longer arm action usually means uh, uh, some command difficulties, uh, also means some uh, injury risk. Uh, uh, but he does repeat a three-quarters delivery relatively uh, well. Uh, his four-seamer has a ride, and that's what plays up most of his strikeouts. Uh, he also extends well in his delivery, which we talked about Gratterall not really extending well in his de- delivery. He's pretty much a two-pitch pitcher at this point. Uh, his slider does flash plus, um, uh, and it's uh, plus like a two-plane break. Uh, I actually haven't seen him. I expect to see him this year. Uh, I had a good contact that had seen him. Uh, the one thing that uh, my contact was concerned about was change-up development. And, and you can see that from from uh, high school, uh, especially uh, – isn't he Canadian? Um, mm-hmm. Or am I, am I uh, remember, misremembering that? Um, yeah. No, you're right. You're going to see that. Yeah, you're going to see that. I mean, uh, the progressions haven't been uh, as great as some other guys. So uh, when you're not – when you're not uh, throwing a pitch that that's uh, can't get better kind of thing. And uh, <laughs> so I expect that to be a focal point of his development this year. Uh, as for Duran, Duran's a guy that uh, I became familiar with when he was with Arizona. Uh, one of my contacts absolutely loved the guy. Um, and actually tried to acquire him and uh, uh, you guys acquired him before they could acquire him. Um, uh <laughs> Tall, hard-throwing fastball, um, or a tall, hard-throwing right-hander, I mean, uh, 
with a, a pretty hard fastball. Um, the fastball's best low in the zone. He's a high three-quarters uh, delivery, but kind of like Gratterall, um, he kind of has limited extension. Um, but what's going for him is Durant has a lot of size, and he's kind of filled out his frame really well. Uh, so the lack of extension doesn't really hurt him as much. Uh, but uh, it does make his fastball seem a little bit less overpowering than, than, than the actual velocity and the stuff. Um, and then his curveball has solid shape plus movement. Um, he also throws a splitter. Um, the problem with the splitter, when, when you learn a splitter, uh, the hardest thing about the splitter is, is uh, release point. Um, you'll see a guy come up very soon for the Tigers named Casey Mize, who is uh, – the release point's perfect every time, and that's why he's able to control the pitch and why he can dominate. Um, and you can go back to – for your, for your uh, listeners who were familiar with the 1980s uh, Houston Astros and Mike Scott, um, mm-hmm. that, that pitch really needs to be released at a, a consistent um, – release point every time um but like Duran has a very good pitch and like maybe maybe in a relief role it might be eh, a little bit better uh right now the changeup's not non-factor I'm not as much worried about his changeup as I am with uh Balzovich. um but it's always good to have a full arsenal of pitching and uh especially with the splitter being known to put some wear and tear on the arm Okay. Uh, okay. Um, um, I'm, I have a question uh, to add to this. Uh, I, I, I realize you're you're comparing two guys who are pitchers who might be starters uh, for the Twins in the next couple of years, or relievers, or whatever their role will yeah. be. I, I'm I'm curious about if you've been able to see two guys who are both left-handed hitters who, in some ways, profile similar, but some ways are different. How how you would compare? fans hearing about Trevor Larnack and Eric, Alex Kirilov. Okay. Well, I've seen Kirilov uh, the last two years, and uh, oh, last year was a forgettable season. I think we can all kind of agree on that. I mean, he still uh, – mm-hmm. I mean, he wasn't that – I mean, he really wasn't that bad statistically with Pensacola. Uh, but by the end of the year, his his – uh, his his um, batting stance was really bad. Uh, his swing was really bad. He was stepping in the bucket. Hmm. Excuse me. Um, sure. Hold on. <laughs> Sorry, I had to had to do a little cough there. Um, but yeah, he was <laughs> stepping in the bucket, and um, you know, there were some struggles, but his contact rate stayed the same. His uh, eye, his you know, he actually some of his aggressiveness. Uh, um, kind of uh, tailed back a bit. Uh, the thing is, is his wrist. When you, when you're dealing with wrist injuries, um, they they just continue to affect, especially a natural hitting stroke like that. When I saw him in early part of the year, after he came back from that injury, uh, it just he just wasn't as explosive. All the mechanics of right, just not explosive. When I saw him the last weekend hmm. of the season in Montgomery. He was just a mess, but his his uh, bat speed was was quick. And I know from talking in, uh, was in the media scrum with Royce Lewis at the Arizona Fall League, 
at the Fall Stars game, and he uh, mm-hmm. he said that uh, Alex he tried to get Alex to play in the Arizona Fall League, and Alex did the right thing. He went he went he went home and rested. He went home to work with his father on on getting his hitting mechanics back. Um, sure, I like Kirillov better than I like Larnich. Um, I think Alex has a better chance at reaching power than um, than Larnich does. He's also a better contact hitter. Where where Larnich, um, and then they're very similar. I mean, they both will spray the ball around and all that kind of stuff. But like, I, I always take the guy who hits. And if you're making contact, if you're making hard contact consistently and not missing the ball, I, I, I like you better long term than the other than, than somebody who isn't. So like, Larnich sure. has has a has a very patient approach. He uses all fields. Um, one of the things the Twins were trying to get him to do was they, they were trying to get him to pull the ball in the air more. Um, so essentially they're trying not to take away his strengths of using the whole field, but they would like him to increase his home run output. So uh, I believe last year during instructional, 2018 I guess uh, would be instructional year 2018, they had sure. him working on pulling the ball. Uh, and they had some, you know, there were some successes and stuff, but like he, he just, and I hate this, I hate to make comparisons because they go to the same college. Um, but like you look at Michael Conforto and uh, I mean, that's, that's the comp that I would throw on Trevor Larnage. Uh, they're very similar hitters, both left handed. Okay. Both try, yeah. I mean, their their idea of hitting is really trying to hit the ball to left center field gap. If the ball's middle in, that's see where the Twins are trying to get him is when when the ball's middle in with M- Michael Conforto, he's he's taking the ball out to right field. Okay. When the ball's middle in to Trevor <clears throat> Larnich, he's just trying to line the ball to right field. So that's what they're trying to do. His his natural power alley, like Michael Conforto's, is is left center field the opposite way. So, you know, it, it's the maturation of the hitter we're seeing uh, play out. And who knows? Uh, Larnish seems to have a good 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 approach at the plate and has good bat control, barrel control. This year, we could see him start to uh, take the ball out to the pull side. Okay. Uh, I, there's another pitcher, another pitcher that I uh, am interested in. They the Twins oh, took him over slot by quite a bit, and and uh, I'm curious what you if you've seen him or if you've heard about him. What your thoughts are on uh, Blaine Enloe? Okay. Um. So I saw Blaine in 2018 with Cedar Rapids. Uh, I wrote him up then, uh, athletic high, three-quarters right-hander. Um, his big thing, like when when they drafted him, they were, they were drafting a projectable frame with a guy that, mm, you know, the reason why he fell was some signability issues. Uh, but there was also some concerns that uh, he was too skinny and that his delivery was a little sideways. And uh, 
This year, from my reports in the Florida State League, uh, he had refined his delivery and uh, and had bulked up some. Uh, so uh, naturally, the velocity picked up. And and the thing that we saw when he was a 20-year-old or 19-year-old uh, to last year is he would sit low to mid 90s first inning or second, you know, first or second inning, and then he would lose velocity and be in the mid to high 80s in the fifth and the sixth inning. And last year we saw the big progression for him was getting to the point of being able to sustain at least low 90s throughout his appearances. Um, Curveball flashes plus. I really liked his kind of a spike curveball. Had plus breaking action. He's added a cutter. I think he was trying to throw it when I saw him, but it, it just, you know, he wasn't getting he wasn't getting the grip right, and it didn't really look like much but a uh, a spinning ball that wanted somebody to hit it. But from from what I understand, he's developing a cutter, and his changeup has uh, has arm side run. Um, the only problem with his changeup is because of his delivery, he doesn't really has too many tells. Um, and I can't remember exactly what my contact said, but, you know, just to kind of uh, share with your viewers, the most common tells I see are guys slowing down their delivery or standing up in their delivery, basically standing tall in their delivery. And usually you can read it's going to be changed up before, you, before those guys throw it because of those two specific tells. But I like him, and I think that he's a uh, – I think that he's a mid-rotation starter if everything works out. And at worst, he's a reliever. But, like, because I like the changeup so much right now, other than some of the tells that he's had, um, I really think that – and adding his uh, athleticism, too, that's one thing that changeups really – if a pitcher has some good athleticism with him, uh, they're easy – they make the transition to repeating their delivery during the pitch a lot easier. Uh, so, like, with him, I think a mid-rotation starter um, upside's good. We need to see some more swings and misses, and that, that especially with the fastball. Um, I know that at least one outlet, I think my friends at Baseball Perspectives had him ranked uh, in their top 20. I have him in my top 10. Um, and I think he's firmly in my top ten. Uh, but, like, I understand why baseball perspective doesn't have him as high um, because uh, the pitches haven't been playing as they've been moving up, as he's as he's moved up and developed. Sure. Uh, okay, so my next question um... – as far as twins prospects go is I, I don't know if you've seen this guy play. He played a lot at Cedar Rapids last year, but he was added to the 40 man roster uh, prior to the rule five draft. And I was curious what you thought about uh, if you've seen Gilberto, Gilberto Celestino. Yes. The guy that you guys, uh, the, the real prize in the Astros uh, in the, in the Presley trade, right? Sure. Yeah, because like Alcala <laughs> is just going to be a reliever. Um, yeah. I have not seen him, 
Um, but, like, I got this glowing report when he got traded uh, from a contact who was uh, following around Astros prospects for the um, for the trade deadline that year. And the, I mean, the thing that really stuck out at the point at that point was his defensive skill in center field. When you're in the lower minors, you see a lot of center field prospects that uh, will eventually find their way to the corners. Um, and this was a kid that handled center field like he was a pro um, already, like a major league center fielder. Um, he has excellent basketball skills, and he brings patience to the plate as well. You don't usually see that out of I know this sounds really weird. You don't really see that out of guys that are drafted as international um, draftees this early in their development. Usually usually like the contact and plate discipline kind of come together when they're 23, 24. Uh, so sure. he's a much more advanced. Uh, I believe his power is about the 18, 25 range. He's a plus runner, but he's not a stolen base threat, really. Um, I think he got okay. cut down a lot last year. I think he stole uh, my stats right here real quick, say about 14 steals. Uh, he's probably less than that. Uh, he will be in double A at some point next year. I have Pensacola in July, I believe. Yeah, July. Or I might have them. I, I might go to Rocket City where the Trash Pandas play in May. <laughs> Great name. Um, it is. A, it's a fantastic name. I, I yeah. have to throw that in there. Um, but sure. yeah, I might go see them in Rocket City. But like, if he progresses, like I think he will, he'll be on the um, the Blue Wahoos by the by July when I see them. So, uh, and it's late July. So there's. I'll get a probably good look at him then, but like he's really kind of all around player. The thing is, he doesn't do anything great. He's just a very solid player. Uh, we we like to call him average across the board, and and it plays up. Uh, and in this case, he's average across the board, except for really his run tool, which also makes his uh, defensive skill in center so much better. But, but as a hitter, he's average all the way around. And that's good. Um, you uh, say that uh, the Twins have a deep farm system. What makes it deep? Yeah. Well, it's a it, to me, it's a combination of things. High upside players, which if we look at their team right now, uh, top 100 guys, uh, one, two, three, you can't consider Gratterall one anymore, four, five. I have five top 100 players, five top 100 players. So you're, you're talking about a, a, a decent percentage right there. Um, 5% of, of uh, the list. Um, and then you go and you go uh, deep minors. You have guys like Urbina who missed last year injury. Uh, uh, or wait, did he? No, he didn't. Uh, somebody wrote that in our thing, and that's not true. Um, but, yeah, somebody like Urbina, who's far away. Then you've got some guys to dream on, like your first-round pick, Keone Cavico. And then what really sets your – what sets depth is 
Um, and I don't know how much how familiar you are with roles. Scouts use the term role. Okay, a role five is an average major league baseball player. Um, sure. And you'd kind of consider a role five to be Jorge Polanco. Okay, that solid starting player. Okay, um, being a Mets fan, I can tell you that um, the Mets failing the last several years has been the fact that they're when when guys get injured when the in their cases the Jorge Polanco's get or your case the Jorge Polanco's get hurt the guy that comes in is not going to be as good as Jorge Polanco but you yeah. want somebody who can at least play replacement okay so you would want a guy like you know we, we call him a role four player a guy that eventually will settle into a bench role maybe play in a platoon um, but, like, they provide a certain um, strength to your team. So, like, we'll go down your prospect list to Lamont Wade, okay? When Lamont Wade played for you in, in September, he played as a role four player. He wasn't a role three player, which a team like the Mets would have to rely on because they don't have the type of depth that you guys do. Um, so when a role four guy comes on, so he doesn't hit well, but he's going to give you a good at bat. He's going to play your defense, and he's going to do those things that that get you over the hump. And just like you know, getting you guys into the playoffs last year, um, which is, I mean, I know it was late, but like you had some issues with having healthy center fielders. So it was mm-hmm. good having somebody like Lamont Wade. Uh, it's good having a, pl- a prospect. While he was a top first round prospect, he, he just never materialized into that type of player. But Nick Gordon would be a role four player at this point, a guy that's very solid. Um, you don't lose too much when he comes into the game. Um, he's not a starting caliber player, but you're bringing up a guy from the major leagues that still has a role for, has a role carved out for him in the, in the majors. A role three guy is essentially a guy that's an up and down type player. And then role two is like an or guy. So like, you want as many role four guys right near the major leagues. Lewis Thorpe, another great example of of somebody like that. Um, uh, Devin Smelter is a little better than that. Uh, we saw what Randy Randy Domnack did last year. I mean, you guys have got these guys that make it that you don't have to go out and acquire these bench pieces, these fringe pieces to get you through the season. Um, I think the Mets, I mean, the Mets took a shot this year on waivers with Steven Gonsalves. And, you know, he's had the injury issues and he's also had some, you know, velocity back up and that, that kind of thing. His stuff is backed up and you guys, he was expendable with you guys, but a team like the Mets need that guy who's kind of a fringe role for guy at this point. Uh, so, like, that's where I see your depth. You've got high upside guys, top to bottom from Royce Lewis down to Urbina in the in the in Dominican League, and then you have these guys that fill the role four roles, ready to go close to the major leagues. Travis Blackenhorn's another one. Uh, Chris, I want to thank you for uh, coming on tonight. Uh, not a problem. Uh, I think we, I think we uh, have a pretty good idea of, of where the Twins 
farm system is at, and uh, we'll yeah. have to get together midway through the season and see where they're at then. Yeah, no, you know, anytime. Can I do a little promotion now? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I got a lot, so I'm going to go really quick. <laughs> uh, Baseball HQ, you can find my stuff regularly every week during the season. It's a subscription fantasy baseball website. We are going to be starting our own prospect podcast with my editor, Brent Hershey. Uh, currently, you can find my stuff in the Lindy Sports Baseball Preview up there in Minnesota. Christian Yelich and Mitch Garver are on the cover, so look for that in your um, in your newsstands. Uh, at your bookstore on Amazon, you can purchase the Minor League Baseball Analyst, which is a book that I contributed about 40% of the writing in. Uh, Ron Chandler's Baseball Forecaster, which is like the best fantasy book out there. Uh, just won a big award from the fantasy people. USA Today Sports Weekly Fantasy Baseball Sports Editions coming out on newsstands very soon. And then finally, First Pitch Florida, which is Baseball HQ's uh, fantasy forum in, in spring. And it's in St. Petersburg, Florida. So any of your people in Fort Myers might be interested in it. Um, it's going to be the weekend of 228 to 3-1. I told you I had a lot. Yeah. Chris, I have one I have one quick question. You mentioned Amazon. What is, is, is there a site or a store, physical uh, brick-and-mortar store that you would get the greatest cutout of people buying the magazine that you're mentioning? Oh, yeah. So, like, Lindy's, like, here here in, in Georgia, I, I find it at my grocery store in their magazine section, and I also find it at Barnes & Noble. Um, and then same thing with USA Today Sports Weekly. I don't know if you guys remember the Baseball Weekly back in the early 90s or the 90s and the early 00s. It was the greatest magazine. It was the first place you could really get advanced statistics. Um, but sure. that the USA Today Sports Weekly uh, is uh, at newsstands in the at the airport at Barnes and Noble. It's at my Kroger. I don't. You guys don't have Krogers up there, but um, we have Krogers down here, and I can find sure both of those things there. And then of course the the books are going to be either at Amazon or at. Uh, um, Barnes and Noble. Cool. That sounds awesome. We'll have to look into it. All right, man. Thank you. Thanks a lot uh, for uh, making the time. It's always fun to talk, and uh, we'll have to do this again sometime this summer. Yes. Uh, thank you, Travis. Thank you, Corey. Hope you guys have a great night. You too. Thank you, you Chris. Too. Have a good night. How are you doing? Not bad. How about yourself? Sorry, I had a, a kid who was having a nightmare, so I had to pull away for a second at the start there. But, yeah, I'm doing all right. So what do you think of that trade that the Twins pulled off? I'm, are you saying with Kenta Maeda? Yeah. Do you think I Maeda has... Has That's what you're saying. The so. kind of the, that uh, the twins are, are are looking for. 
I, I think so I, I am thrilled with getting Kenta Maeda and actually like the, the, the description I read today um, about why he wanted number 18. I wasn't aware of that being that uh, Japanese teams give the number 18 typically to the ace of the pitching staff. And that's what he's wanted. And I think that's a pretty cool, cool deal. I think he can definitely be, um, someone we're confident can start a playoff game, uh, which they needed to add. I think they needed more playoff level pitching in the starting rotation than they had um, at any point last year, arguably, um, especially after Pineda was suspended. So I think adding somebody of his caliber is, is exciting to a team that has definite uh, not even just get to the playoffs, but make noise in the playoffs aspirations like the like the Twins do. So it's exciting to me. Um, another mm. guy I want to ask you about is Rich Hill. In your opinion, can he be an ace in the playoffs? Well, uh, the last four or five years when he has been healthy and pitching, he has been that. It's like any statistical grading you want to go on a pitcher Hill has, has been one of the top five or so starters in baseball over the last say four or five baseball seasons. Um, ERA strikeouts, um, even innings when healthy, he's, he's right there with just about anybody else you could name. And yes, he's coming back from, Again, major major shoulder surgery, which you can never know exactly how someone's going to bounce back. But the numbers and the statistics in his favor, uh, in his corner, showing that he has been at that high-end level, uh, certainly make me think that he could uh, get back to even like 70 or 80% of that production that he used to be, which would still be arguably one of the better pitchers on the twin staff if he is healthy and able to perform. It just kind of depends on how his recovery goes. And um, I suppose the other thing with him is uh, time has never lost to anyone. He's 40 or so now, and um, it's easier to recover from injuries when you're in your 20s or your teens than it is when you're in your 40s. So if – as a professional athlete, he's able to recover from uh, major shoulder surgery and pitch similar to how he was pre-injury. I, th- I think that's a, a very good get for the Twins. And um, he's already started throwing, it sounds like. So long toss in the next week or two and getting ready to maybe pitch in June or July, and then we'll see kind of what happens after that. So, Do you think uh, the Twins can – snatch that uh, number one seed in the American League yeah I, I that's what excites me a lot about this year I think I think the twins are in a very good position to play 19 games each against the Royals and Tigers to have maybe as good a chance to win the most games in the American League as any team in the American League, I, I'd still at this moment probably argue that the Yankees are the favorite in the American League, but they aren't in the Central. So I think the Twins have an opportunity 
to potentially win as many or more regular season games as the Yankees do, thus not having to play them in the first round of the playoffs or even having more regular season wins than they do to potentially have home field advantage against the Yankees come playoff time if everything goes right and there aren't injuries. So if that is the case, I wouldn't be I, – I am excited to have the chance to be in the playoffs and hopefully not have more games at Yankee Stadium than at Target Field, and I think that's something that's, as of now, not a crazy statement to make. What uh, – do you think uh, – how big of a impact do you think – Losing James Faxon for three to four months is going to be for the Yankees. Uh, I think it could be uh, just as big of a deal as losing Rich Hill is for the Twins or Michael Pineda is for the Twins. He's arguably more talented than Pineda is. I would take him on the Twins any day of the week, and maybe he's a free agent discussion option for next offseason potentially with – where he'll be at, but yeah, he's, he's one of their top three starters and started uh, game one for them in the playoffs last year. So he not having him for April, maybe May is kind of a big deal for a team that's similar, at least in how they're built to the twins in terms of having an amazing offense also and a very good bullpen also, but probably needing more in the starting pitching department other than adding Garrett Cole this offseason, which um, that's the Yankees for you, I guess. Um, yeah, the when and don't <laughs> spend. Yep. Um, my, my next question is uh, – Josh Donaldson, what is he going to bring to the the Twins? I I think he'll bring uh, playoff experience. I think he'll bring a level of, I don't know if toughness is the right word, but a level of um, needing to be professional at all times and practice a certain way and show up to the field a certain way and carry yourself a certain way that um, he's done it and players look up to veterans and, and role models who have been there and done that a lot of the time. And him having that experience of being around the game for uh, 10, 12, 15 years and uh, fighting for a roster spot earlier in his career and being cut a few times in his earlier days and, and kind of earning everything he's got to become a superstar MVP level player. Also gold glove level defender uh, is very well respected for not even just teammates, but across baseball. He's, he's gotten MVP votes as recently as uh, last year, like a lot of MVP votes and, to, to fight for the game and to be as dominant a player as he, he is just kind of brings the water level of the team up a little bit, I, I feel like. Um, 
yeah, he certainly will add defense to the team. He'll certainly add offense to the team, and he'll make sure everybody's showing up and working hard and, and being present. And that's something that you kind of need sometimes rather than just the coaches telling you that, I guess. Um, with uh, Derek Felvey and uh, Thad Levine running the show along with uh, Jim Polad. How surprising is it to you as a longtime Twins fan that they spent $92 million on, and it could be $104 million on uh, Josh Donaldson and then traded, traded their number three to five prospect to get Kenta Maeda? How uh, surprising... Is that to you? Uh, personally, to me, I I would have been the way they've been talking about the rebuild and where the team's at every off season for the last three years, ever since the new new regime has come on board. I I would have been uh, more surprised if at least one of the moves like Donaldson or a trade for Maeda didn't happen this off season. Uh, they've kind of been building towards. Uh, creating an environment that is um, winning in in every way. Not that I'm, this isn't anything about any previous regime of the Twins, but they've been very vocal about uh, going in and adding talent when the time is right. They've been saying that since they came on board, and. Uh, I would have been more surprised this off season if one or two big moves had not happened just for the quotes that they were making uh, two Januaries ago saying about going in and going all in um, to add talent when the time is right at that time. If they had not done that this off season, I would have been more surprised. So um, I'm very as a, as a fan, very happy with the moves they did make, but I, I wouldn't say necessarily the um, route to get there in terms of spending in free agency and training prospects to add real talent at the major league level. That, to me, frankly, isn't really that surprising. I guess I'll, I'll admit I was surprised because these aren't your dad's twins anymore. They will spend money when it's the timing is right, and they will make moves when the timing is right. That's all you could really ask for as a fan, is that when you have the players to win, you augment that that roster with winners. Is that making sense? Yeah, agreed. I agree completely. I think I think it's something that needed to be done and I think it's something that they sought out to do after the season that happened last year. The Twins won the division by eight or ten games and uh, were clearly in a mode that they are ready to win again this year because their core is mostly young and in their mid-20s. Uh, they said before the offseason they needed to add 
some impact level players, including starting pitching, and they they went out and arguably did that with uh, Rich Hill, Rich Hill, and uh, bringing back Michael Pineda and Jake Odorizzi, but then making the trade for Kenta Maeda, who can also be a playoff level starter. I think they they kind of put their money where their mouth is that they've been saying for years now, and it's it's refreshing in in many ways. So, um, as part of the Maeda trade, they received ten million dollars. In your mind, are they going to use that for bonus costs for Maeda, or could you see them? Trading for uh, a player, where they use that ten million to uh, offset the cost of uh, acquiring that player. I, I think they're open to either of those ideas. Frankly, I, I think going into the season, as I view it as going in as a blank slate to a certain extent, in terms of being ready for adding potentially if a need arises as far as if somebody uh, you're not expecting to be out gets injured at some point, pitcher, position player, regardless. Uh, Having a little extra money to take on a contract or send, send out to acquire a different player certainly doesn't, doesn't hurt by any means. Um, Outside of that, if if everything goes right and no one's hurt and everybody's playing well, and uh, Maeda or Rich Hill or somebody else is pitching to a point that they're earning their um, contract additions, uh, that's that's a good thing. That means the team is doing well. So I, I view it as a good a good problem to figure out. Uh, later on, I guess I could say. So, how about the, the payroll around 140? Does that surprise you that they went that high? Uh, sorry, you, you kind of broke out a little bit. Can you say it again? Uh, I, I, I'll tell you right now today. Uh, their payroll is over 140. Does that surprise you in the least? Uh, I guess not really. I don't think the Twins will ever spend at the Yankees, Dodgers, Cubs, Red Sox level just because they're not at that market. I don't think they'll need to spend at the Miami, Oakland level either. They're kind of in the middle of the pack, give or take, as far as major league areas um, for what their payroll could be. Um, so one, 135, 140 last year was about major league average. And, and being in that range to me isn't really that surprising, I guess, uh, for a Twins team that is um, ready to be in a winning window. Well, I go back to 2010 when they won the division, and you you would have to argue that they were in a winning window. 
they're they spent uh, a franchise high a hundred and twenty eight million and then after that they lowered their payroll for eight, nine years. Um what what needs to happen for uh, Mr. Polad to do this on a yearly basis? Oh, it, for me, it's so hard to compare to 2010. That's a decade ago, and I would argue 128 in 2010 is more money than is spent this year. Uh, to be to a certain extent, just with inflation, but I I think a lot of it has to be there has to be a plan in place for the development the, of the players that are coming up and ready to play, and arguably um, 2011 to 2015, those five years or so as a Twins fan were um, not good if you were wanting a winning product, arguably because there wasn't a lot of um, kind of what Chris mentioned before, a lot of players that were coming up to the major league level that were ready to be uh, replaceable level players. Uh, Pro 4 or Pro 5, I think was the term he used. There, There really wasn't a lot of that that was happening the the players that were coming in during those years weren't really um, major league caliber. I guess was kind of the issue, um, and and maybe it was that just mid market teams need to rebuild. I think that's a lot of it. Um, since the late aughts, the oh six to ten years were so good that Twins didn't have high draft picks, so that's probably a part of it. But um, Going forward from here, I think the difference that you have compared to that time, um, especially taking into account uh, Joe Maurer and Justin Morneau dealing with um, concussion issues that uh, if you could go back and rewind, you would not have either of those players have that happen, Um, obviously. That's just a bummer that the years ended that way because of injury. But if, if... players can stay healthy and your minor leagues can continue to develop major league caliber talent. I think, I think that would be what would make a difference now compared to then. Um, it isn't necessarily wow. to me about payroll number. It's about making sure that your minor leagues are continuing to create average level players and that that's what the difference was then compared to now, I think. Uh, Baseball America released their uh, farm system rankings and the Twins were eighth just behind the White Sox who were seventh and the White Sox did it by trading away all their players. Um, is it, it, the Red Sox are going through that right now, trading Mookie Betts to get under the cats. Do you think the Twins are going to shorten their window 
Yeah. If they haven't won a World Series. I I hope not. I I'd rather have um I I mean to compare to the White Sox, the White Sox and Twins have a very similar minor league uh system, but the Twins are uh, at the major league level uh I I think it's clear they're a better team right now than the White Sox are uh come 21 or 22 2021 2022. It could be different, but the Twins have a much better product on the field in the major leagues right now. I think still I don't think it's even arguably than the White Sox do. So to have similar minor league organizations and have a much better product on the field um, than arguably anyone in the rest of the division, I think is, is a positive for the, for the twins. Um, Cleveland has better pitching. I, I, I don't know that I would argue that right now, but the twins are on a path to develop their own pitching and, I think I would take the Twins major league roster over anyone else in the division right now and having it a minor league system that is uh, as good as anybody in baseball arguably is a uh, strength in the Twins' favor. Um, I am a Twins homer. I, I should say that too. But data and facts certainly back up my argument that the Twins have a lot of talent at – Triple-A, double-A, high-A, low-A, um, rookie level uh, across the board. And they have a strong major league team. So to have to sell out for one or two years isn't necessarily something they'll have to do if they're wanting to be competitive for the next five-plus years. I think they'll be in the playoff discussion easily for the next five years. Um, depending on uh, any potential lockout that happens after 2021, which uh, baseball fans probably don't want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that. Uh, yeah. In your opinion, does Balazovic and uh, Duran have a chance to make their debuts this year? Yeah, I, I think they do. I think it depends a little bit on uh, – I don't know that I could have said this before the Maeda trade, but I think it depends a little bit on um, injury and need at the major league level. But I think Duran is very close to being ready to contribute in some way at the major league level. And I think Belazovic is uh, right behind him. Uh, I I think Duran between double A, triple A, potentially majors this year could could be in line for 150 to 180 innings. And Belazovic, I think, is uh, going to be online for 120 to 160, maybe. And depending on where they're at come uh, second half of the year, last quarter of the year, I, I see no reason why they couldn't be called upon if uh, injuries uh, merit that, I guess, or, or play it merits that. So. It depends kind of how the major league roster is going and and how they're doing health-wise. Last question, and I'll let you go. I know you're not feeling well, so uh, I appreciate you gutting it out for me. Uh, last question. Uh, you and I had a disagreement about the Pakoda uh, stand, projected standings. 
do you believe that the Twins will win more or less than the 93 that they are projected on Pakoda? <laughs> so, um, you, I don't know. How do I say this? I, I view as Pakoda as a, a work spreadsheet, I guess. I, I view as, I view Pakoda as not having um, emotion or thought about anything, I guess. Pakoda I take as looking at numbers and uh, comparing statistics of players, their output from the last three or five years, and just putting into a spreadsheet and seeing what the spreadsheet says. So I, I, I guess, uh, I don't know, you mentioned we had a disagreement. I, I view Pakoda as simply data and with no, uh, I wouldn't say thought, but no um, emotion towards. So uh, to have a Pakoda projection that the Twins have um, at 93, I, I take as uh, – uh, fairly bland and fairly boring but also um fairly positive in the in the sense that they get to play Kansas City and Detroit a lot and are well set up coaching wise development wise to be able to handle injuries if and when they may come things that I know Dakota doesn't take into account um, if I was going to bet on the Twins this year, I would I would firmly put them above 93 wins. I don't know that I would necessarily bet my mortgage or house or or <laughs> anything I own on them winning more games than they did in 2019, just because I I feel like the American League as a whole has improved. Um, but I certainly think the Twins winning 95 to 98 or even 100 games this year would be as impressive to me as winning 101 in 2019. And I, I absolutely believe that they're in better uh, placement right now to win a playoff series, maybe even against the Yankees, than they were uh, at any point in the 2019 season. I guess I'll put it that way. Like, I don't know. I feel like I'm giving a rambling answer, but uh, I I don't take Dakota no, I as agree. like anything like that. So I agree. They're they're a better team now, and if they played the Astros or the Yankees, I actually, I think they could give them a, a good series and maybe even win it. Yeah, I I I think the Astros. Uh, I I don't know that the Astros. Dakota was very friendly to the Astros too, but the Astros now have to face a division that has Oakland and a very improved Rangers and Anaheim team. So having the Astros as a given of having one of the better records in the American League, I don't, I don't know that I could get behind that, um, especially with losing their general manager and head coach and best and pitcher. And so like. Cole. Yeah, to lose Garrett Cole and um, the coaching that they had and their general manager, I don't, I don't know that Houston is going to have 
as easy of a way to getting to the number two seed as they did last year, I guess, in the American League playoffs. So I don't know that the Twins necessarily will get the number two seed or the number one seed or any seed in the playoffs, but I think the Twins have a easier road to the playoffs than Houston does for 2020 um, with what Houston's lost and what the Twins have brought back. That's that's kind of how I'm looking at it. So I agree. Uh, Corey, I want to thank you for uh, co-hosting this part of the show. Uh, I'm, I'll let you get some rest and uh, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll, we'll be talking tomorrow. That sounds good, Travis. Have a good night. Okay. Thanks for having me on. You too. That was Corey Engelhart of uh, he's an avid Twins fan and he used to have a podcast. He used to have a podcast with me. So we kind of put the band back together for a one-time thing. So I'm going to Finish off the show by myself. Our next interview is by Andrew Thayer's talking about the draft and uh, the the Twins' uh, trade of uh, for Kenta Maeda. So uh, here's Andrew Thayer's. Our next guest on Minnesota Sports Weekly is uh, Twins Daily draft expert, Andrew Thayer's. And without any further ado, I'm going to bring Andrew on and we'll uh, get at it. Andrew, how are you? Good. How about yourself? Excellent, excellent. Uh, my first question for you is: uh, How is the Twins' uh, recent maneuvers going to affect the the draft process? Meaning uh, the signing Josh Donaldson, which costs a fourth round, and the trade for uh, Kenta Maeda, that's going to cost a comp- competitive balance pick. How is that going to change the Twins' uh, viewpoint on the draft in your mind? Um, what I think this does is it, it kind of limits them. It does um, in terms of flexibility, what they're able to do in the draft. Uh, for people that aren't as familiar with how the MLB draft process works is each pick in the first 10 rounds is assigned a certain slot value um, for X amount of dollars that you have to sign and um, basically, all of those picks in the first 10 rounds are combined together into a pool. And then that total pool is what is the money that you have to use to sign those picks. So um, aside from the fact that you just don't get a pick, those have been their third and fourth picks um, for the Twins by the third pick by trading to the Dodgers. And then their fourth pick they lost to uh, um, in the Josh Donaldson signing. Um, what this does is not only do you not get those picks, but you also lose out on that pool money. So this really, you know, and usually picks around that 
that range, what they do is they help offer flexibility. So if you want to say sign a uh, draft a player that fell to you in the first round that might take more money than your slot value is for that pick, it's going to be harder for them to sign that because those you know the second, third, and fourth picks are really the money that you use to you pull out of to help sign those guys. So you really kind of limit yourself in what you can do. And that being said, that doesn't mean you can't draft good players. It's just certain types of players like high school pitchers and um, are are kind of harder to go after and get, especially because they have the the leverage to say, I either sign me for a bunch of money or I'm just going to go to college, where that's not necessarily the case um, with college players. So I think the it might push them towards a college route, but it just kind of depends on how everything falls in draft night. So in that – First, what's that first round pick? Can we eliminate high school kids? Um, I wouldn't say you could. You can't really eliminate them. It's just the because a decent amount of high schoolers still sign for around what their slot value is. It's just what you can't do is, you know, the Twins drafting later in the first round. I believe at pick twenty-seven. A lot of times, what you see there is there's usually a, a couple high school, usually right-handed pitchers that we're top 10, 15 talents that are just falling because um, teams are scared about being able to sign them where a team late in the first round might be like, okay, this guy is just so much more, you know, we have him so much more higher rated than everybody else at this point. Maybe we can take a shot at him and we can just use a lot of our money, you know, to sign him. The twins don't really, you know, they kind of lose a lot of their ability to do that. Um, after looking okay. at two picks. It's, it's not that they can't draft a high schooler at all. It's just those really high-value ones that fall, they're really not going to have a chance to go after. Does this uh, affect their international money, too? Um, I don't believe it should. The international money and the draft pool money are separate pools. Um, the ways that you get them are somewhat similar, but by and large, they're their own pool. So um, I haven't seen anything out there that, um, directly affects their international pool. Um, how are they looking? I suppose when when do they usually start looking at 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 high school and college players? Probably not till the 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 seasons of the each of those start. Um, I'm sure there's already been a fair amount of scouting that's been done just because a lot of these guys, you know, play at the same, um, you know, playing the same games that they've already been scouting. So when they were scouting last year for guys that were in last year's draft pool, whether it be at a lot of the major colleges where, you know, the guys are going to be available this year, were playing on the same teams as those guys drafted last year. So they've already had exposure to them. And then same thing with the high school, because everything with the circuits and the showcases nowadays with all of that, that's just been around. These guys have been getting exposure for a few years now by these MLB teams. And, um, you know, even if they weren't directly going to scout these guys, maybe last year, they maybe seen them once or twice or a few times or gotten some good information just because they were at games that they were already scouting. So I think they have a good idea, but really once you get into this season is where teams start to focus, like, you know, leading up to the draft is where teams really focus hard on specific guys that'll be in this draft. And, you know, they rely on a lot of, preliminary reports going in and then just kind of start going hard on these guys now. But the 
um, college baseball season actually starts Friday. So it's, it's right, you know, it's starting right now and it's going to be going up into the draft. Um, in your mind, uh, what is a need? I know you'll always go best player available, but what are a couple needs in the Twins organization, especially after losing uh, Gratterall and and uh, I can't think of the other guy's name. An outfielder. No. Uh, Luke Rayley. Yeah, yeah, that, that's the yeah. I was thinking of. What, um, what, what do you think the Twins might be looking at? I, I mean, I, I don't think the Twins really are going to enter in with that mindset. I think more or less they look position-wise. I mean, if you want to say, you know, pitcher, um, you could. But honestly, I don't think, um, just be, just given the fact that the Twins already have so much young talent, already at the major league level locked up for a while on the position side. And then they also have quite a few high end position players that you can maybe say pitcher, but honestly, I think they're just going to go with a player that not only they think they have good signability, but also just going to fit well. I mean, a guy you draft now, especially if you draft a high schooler, um, if that's route you go, isn't even going to be in the same conversation with many of these prospects. So I would current by the time that guy is developed in here, most of the Twins roster is probably not even going to be here anymore, and you're kind of looking at the highway. So if you draft a high school position player like they did last year, I don't think it would matter as much. But um, if you want to do something that maybe gives you the best chance, you know, target something that can give you the best chance to really help add to this specific team, um, you could look at more of a, a closer to MLB-ready um, college pitcher might be a, a target that you would have in mind because those guys are going to, they're not going to take as long to get up. They can, you can maybe move them around to get them up sooner. They can, you know, if you get a college guy that's up there, they're going to be closer to that higher major league level. They're not going to be as far away as a high schooler. So I could see that being a, a thought process. And we've seen that in years past with um, like the Chicago Cubs. That was kind of their strategy when they really built that um, awesome team that they had um, about five, three, four years ago when they were kind of building up is their draft strategy started with a ton of high school guys and they were just going high upside high school, high upside high school. And then once they kind of started to build a good system, then all of a sudden one draft, they just switch. And that's what the Chris Bryant draft. And then it was college guy, college guy, college guy. And they all were about the same level at the same time. And they got them there. So I could see the twins have already kind of started, um, you know, really have a good wave of talent that's about to come up at the same time with most of their top prospects. Um, currently at Pensacola, the double-A. So I could see them saying, hey, let's get one more guy that, you know, he might be one or two years behind most of them, but he'll be able to help this general core. I could see that being, you know, a, a thought, logical thought process for them. Um, after uh, doing research last year, um, Cavaco, how have you seen his development thus far? Um, yeah, obviously now um, post-draft, I don't tend to follow these guys as closely as, you know, like Sessos or many of the other guys at Twins Daily. Um, okay. I kind of feel like I, I passed them along, but I know Cavaco, he, he didn't have the best of performances, but he was still only like 18 and just very limited at bats at pro ball, so I, I wouldn't take anything out of that. I think it's just he's 
a big high upside. He's got a lot of potential. I think he's just a guy that you let grow. Don't rush him. Don't like I was saying. Don't think of him as part of this current team, this wave. He's. I think Vaco is probably the starting point of um, their next uh, wave of prospects after this current one. A- after the Kirillovs and the Larnicks and the Royce Lewis's of the world, he's kind of in the separate. So I would say just give him time, let him develop. Don't put too much stock into how he's performing even this year obviously better it'd be better if he performs better but like at this point it's mostly just develop him and let him grow um, um my, my next question is the twins have struggled in years past 2017 was a i think it was 2017 they had a good year but for the most part they've been picking in the top 10 and now they'll be picking pick 27. How does that change their mindset on the kind of players that they're looking at? Um, yeah, I think so. The kind of the difference is usually when you're picking um, top five, top ten, as much as they can be, they're still baseball prospects, so it's still there's still a fair amount of randomness and luck involved, but. When you're looking at top 10, you're looking at guys that have both high upside potential and are fairly safe bets, where when you kind of fall down into the later part of the first round, now you're looking at, do we want high upside potential or safe bet? So you're kind of having to, or safer pick. You know, it's kind of a mix between. You don't really get both. Um, granted, like I said, it's still take that with a grain of salt. It's still the MLB draft. It's, you know, there's still a lot of variables that can be at play, but that's kind of mostly what you're looking at. So like if you have a pitcher, maybe you have a, you know, a stud pitcher that has two really good pitches, but it's lacking a third and there's maybe concerns that he'd be a bullpen guy. He might fall where, you know, a, a pitcher with, you know, just as good of two first pitches also has a decent third is third good pitch and has a better chance of being a starter is going to be higher up. You know, there's probably an equal amount of upside on both pitchers. It's just the one with the third solid pitch is viewed as a safer pick and is probably going to go top 10 where the one that falls into the 20s is going to be a pitcher that you haven't really seen. Usually it's a change up. It's kind of a big thing that a lot of pitchers are lacking just because even at the college level, guys with dominant fastballs and breaking balls just don't need to throw them and don't waste their time. So, um, My next question, did you follow the, the Ketamaeda trade negotiations? Yeah, I was definitely keeping an eye on that. All of that, obviously, it's a okay. huge move. What, what do you think so, of it? Um, I of thought the trade. it was interesting. It When I initially read that Brutus Star Greater All was included in the package, it, I, it took me a step back, and I was like, whoa, what are we doing? You know, just like probably many Twins fans, but as more stuff started coming out where there's the lack of him, you know, lack of trust that he might one day ever become a, a starter at the major league level, then it starts to make more sense. Um, on Twins Daily, I posted kind of my thoughts. I did a, a grade on each team um, on how, how I think they turned out with this. And I gave the Twins just a solid B. I don't think uh, Maeda is necessarily a huge upside. He help, does help give some um, rotation security this year, something that the Twins definitely need more of, um, just because there's a lot of guys you don't know what you're going to get out of them, if anything at all whether it's Homer Bailey coming back to being normal Homer Bailey, if Rich Hill even pitches at all this year, you don't know. So I think that helps. But there's a lot of upside just being the fact that he's already a 32, 
Knight is already going to be entering his age 32 season. He's never, he's always been solid, but he's never been a, that far above average. And he, between all the innings he pitched in Japan and here in the U.S., he already has over 2,100 professional innings. So it's just, you know, you're just going to, you're going to need a decent guy, which there's value in that, but, you know, there's nowhere near the upside that a greater all might have um, given you. So it's just, I think just as somebody that kind of follows, you know, and, around all the time it sucks giving up a guy they've been looking forward to for two years to finally get up his chance but I think this is still a relatively smart move for the twins overall and honestly I do think you know despite the fact that I would like to have kept more draft picks being the draft guy I do think the twins came out better um in the second version of the trade than they did in the first version of the trade what made you uh think that yeah so um I think um the $10 million, yeah, obviously everyone's going to roll their eyes and it's like, oh, it's, you know, Polad just wants money. They're being cheap. But I don't think that's what that is. I think if you think about what $10 million is, you know, that's that's going to pay off, you know, a huge chunk of, you know, you can get a really good reliever for a year. You can put that towards adding some guys. Or if you want to take on a guy with a big contract at the trade deadline, you can put that $10 million where, you know, if there's, if there's a guy making maybe $25 million a year, and, you know, you, you want to trade for him at the trade deadline. He's probably got roughly $10 million left on his deal for this year anyway, so you can put it towards that. Like, there's a lot of things that can be used toward that can help the team right now um, where, you know, the, the Twins have so many other guys. And then, like, I, don't, I think giving a Luke Rayleigh, he's a solid prospect. I mean, I think he could, you know, potentially be a Jake Cave type. But I think for the Twins, um, he's a little bit redundant in his skill set, just the fact that, the Twins already have so many young, already outfield players that are already major league ready, already on the team, and then there's so there's a huge wave of them, another wave of them coming that he was just going to get lost in the shuffle and wasn't really going to be there. And he's already 25 at AAA, so it's just honestly he didn't pose a ton of value for the Twins, where he might have had more for the Dodgers, just being the fact that they might need some young MLB ready outfield depth in case a few guys go down with injuries, he might have more of an opportunity there. So. I don't think losing Rayleigh hurts much. And um, so it just comes down to the draft pick. You know, basically it's trading the the draft pick for $10 million. And I just think the $10 million can help this team out, out more now than the 67th pick in the draft this year will. And I think that makes a lot of sense to me. So that's kind of why I think they definitely improved. Uh, last question, then I'll let you go. Um Going back to that draft pick, uh, number 67, is that going to hurt the Twins not having that pick? Or is it not as big a deal as some people are making it out to be? Um, Like I said, I think just most of of what it hurts is just the fact that it it really limits you and what you can do with maybe your first or second pick. you know, most guys taking with the 67th pick, yeah, obviously there's a chance they could hit, but most guys taking at that point, there's such a low hit rate that the odds of that guy, the guy that the Twins take there coming out and succeeding are relatively low. Not saying it couldn't happen, but I, I think the bigger impact is just the um, – I remember I was looking at it last year, that slot value was worth about a million dollars, just just shy of a million dollars in the 2019 draft, so it's roughly around that. So it, it just – it kind of limits your pool amount that you can do where – what you can do with your first round pick is I think is the more, you know, is the bigger impact than actually losing that pick. Um, 
Mm. So that's kind of where I stand to that. One thing I do want to throw out here before uh, before I go is I'd, I'd highly recommend um, there's a pitcher for the Minnesota Gophers, uh, Max Meyer. Anybody living in the Twin Cities area, I would highly recommend you go check him out. Um, he is an absolute monster. He's a great fastball. His slider might be the best pitch in the draft, or if not, at least the best slider in the draft. He has a chance to be the uh, the Gophers' first um, first round pick since the Twins took Glenn Perkins in 2004. So they really haven't had a talent at this caliber uh, pitching for them in a long time. So I would highly recommend, um, you know, any Gopher fan or just any Minnesota baseball fan, just I would try to go check him out a game or two this year. He's he's going to be something to watch and could very well be in the realm of possibilities of twins draft picks. Cause he's kind of right now, a lot of things can change, but right now he's slotting in to be a, a roughly late first round draft pick. So he could also be a potential guy that the twins might be targeting. And they already did draft him out of high school in 2000, uh, 2017 as more of a, you know, he's a local area kid, give him some recognition, but he might be back on the radar again this year. So I would, I'd highly recommend people go check him out. All right, Andrew, I want to thank you for uh, hopping on and giving us some knowledge. Uh, we'll have to talk again the closer we get to the draft. All right, sounds good. Thanks for having me. That was Andrew Thayer's talking about the draft and uh, the, the Twins trade. And that's going to put an end to the show. I want to thank everyone for being on. Uh, We'll be back next week, next Wednesday. And uh, it should be another fun show. Thank you for listening. And it's on iTunes if you can't listen live. So uh, just uh, find a way to listen. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Have a good night, and uh, bye.